Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, if you would open them up to Genesis chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 22. Genesis 8, verses 1 through 22. And the title of this sermon is Remember. How many of you want to be remembered? Pretty much all of us, if we're honest. We all want to be remembered by our friends, our family, and our loved ones. I mean, isn't that the worst when you text someone and you get the uh, new phone, who is this response? It's the worst. You clearly were forgotten by that particular person in that moment, and you know it. We all want to be remembered, and none of us want to be forgotten. Some of you may even want to be remembered by history, but for almost all of us, that won't be reality. We'll live, we'll die, and history will forget us. But what if I told you that something way more important than history will remember you. What if that something was actually a someone? That's what we're going to see in today's text. So with that in mind, let's dive in. Genesis 8, 1 through 22. This is the word of the Lord. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month, in the tenth month, on the first day of the month the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. She returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. 
Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal, and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Our three points for today's sermon are these. Point one, God remembers Noah. Point two, God waits on, or Noah waits on God. And then point three, Noah remembers God. So point one, God remembers Noah. As we begin, I want to remind us of the structure of the text that we saw last week. Remember, this whole section of text is what's known as a chiasm, a text sandwich, meaning that the text mirrors itself with one key focus right in the center. Last week, we saw the language of decreation. Everything that God had created in Genesis 1, he would destroy in Genesis 7. The waters that he had separated in Genesis 1, he would unleash in Genesis 7, in the flood. So last week was decreation. This week, we'll see God recreating or starting over. Look at this structure. We have seven days of waiting for the flood, another seven days of waiting for the flood, 40 days of actual flood, 150 days of water triumphing over everything, and then God remembering Noah, followed by 150 days of water waning, 40 days of waiting, seven days of waiting, and seven days of waiting. Do you see what's right smack in the middle there? Our first verse in today's text, 8.1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. This is the main point of the entire section. Moses doesn't want us to miss this. He's not just writing this way to show off his artistic talent. No. He wants to fix our eyes on this truth. Noah, God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. As crazy as the size of the ark is, as wild as all of the animals are, as terrifying as the judgment of the flood is, the focus is on this truth. God remembered Noah. So, What does it mean to be remembered by God? Tune in here. God remembering Noah isn't just a cognitive thing. It's not as if Noah left God's mind and then God saw him and said, Oh, Noah, I forgot about him. I'm now remembering him. He's back in my consciousness. No. When God remembers... He acts. Genesis 19, verse 29. God remembers Abraham and acts by saving Lot from destruction. Genesis 30, verse 22. 
God remembers Rachel and opens her womb. Reverend Child says it this way. He says, God's remembering always implies his movement toward the object. The essence of God's remembering lies in his acting toward someone because of a previous commitment. This is what God does. He makes a promise. He remembers that promise. And then he fulfills that promise. God makes a promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15 that he'll send an offspring to crush Satan's head. God remembers that promise through providing and protecting a righteous line of seeds that we've seen. He doubles down on that promise through covenants with Noah and then with Abraham and David. The rest of the Old Testament is God remembering the promise. Then, sending his son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill that promise through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. This is the gospel, the good news. God is a promise-making, promise-remembering, promise-keeping God through Jesus Christ. That's what he does. Now, I want you to see that this statement is loaded with meaning. God remembered Noah. Let's look at a couple of the ways that God remembers Noah in this text specifically. Look again at verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Does this sound familiar to anyone? If not, let's try this. The word that's here translated wind is the word ruah, which can also be translated spirit. Where else have we seen a formless and void water with a spirit hovering over it? Genesis 1, same word, ruah. Whether Moses had this in mind when writing, I don't know, but it certainly seems so. God is beginning a new creation here through Noah. In fact, Moses seems to remember this exact scene and wording when he's writing the story of the Exodus as well. Look at Exodus 14, verse 21 and 22. Exodus 14, verses 21 and 22. God has just been moving his people out of Egyptian slavery, but they're being hotly pursued by the army and chariots. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back. How? By a strong east wind, same word, ruah, all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. This language is language of both new creation and of rescue. God remembers Noah through these actions. God also remembers Noah through speaking to him. While we have no record of God speaking the whole time Noah was out on the water, God speaks again here in verse 15 in our text. I know that it's easy for us just to pass this by because this is who we know God to be. 
a God who speaks. But this is a big deal. The God who created everyone and everything. The God who spoke creation into existence. The God who brought the flood and judgment speaks. And he speaks to a little particle of dust named Noah. God remembers Noah through speaking to him and communicating clearly. We'll come back to this point in just a moment. But do you see how kind and loving God is here? God remembered Noah. Friends, being remembered by history is a small thing. Being remembered by God is a big thing. The thief on the cross next to Jesus knew this truth. Look at this. Luke 23, verses 39 through 40. One of the criminals who were hanged rallied at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, referring to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And look at this. Look what he says to Jesus here. Verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Maybe you've gone through a rough patch in life recently. Maybe you're starting to wonder if God's really out there. Maybe you're starting to believe that God has forgotten about you altogether. Here's the truth. If you're in Christ, just like Noah, you are a new creation, and you're not forgotten. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you've been rescued by Christ, he'll never forget you. I have two grandparents who died of Alzheimer's. It was the saddest thing ever to watch them literally forget everything. Pretty much everyone and everything. For a lot of people, that will happen towards the end of life. I've even heard of people that worry about getting Alzheimer's and even forgetting Jesus. That could happen to you. You may forget Jesus, but he'll never forget you. God says to his people, I will never leave nor forsake you. Christian, you are not forgotten. God sees you. He speaks to you through his word, and he remembers you. Whatever you may be going through, you can know this truth at the core of your being this morning. God remembers you, and when he remembers you, he moves toward you, and he acts. Point one, God remembered Noah. Point two, Noah waits on God. 
Noah waits on God. Another key theme in this text is that Noah patiently waits on God all the way through. Before we even get to the timeline of this text, consider what's going on all around Noah. I mean, the ark is pretty big, but they're still in a somewhat confined space with animals and family. (laughs) What's the quote from Benjamin Franklin? Guests are like fish. After three days, they begin to stink. Just kidding. (laughs) Noah is in the ark with all of the smelly livestock and his extended family for a long time. Look at the timestamps in this text. It rains for 150 days. Can you imagine that? God makes a wind blow on the earth. The waters abate another 150 days. Verse 3. They're in the seventh month of the year, but 300 days of being out on the boat at this point. The ark comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat, which is in southwestern Asia. Four months later, on the tenth month, the tops of the mountains are seen in verse 5. Forty more days, Noah opens the window. Verse 6, seven more days. Verse 10, seven more days. Verse 12. We're back to the first of the month in the calendar year by verse 13. And the second month in verse 14. Do you see what Moses wants us to see here? Noah was on the boat for a long time. Over a year, actually. Can you imagine what must have been going through his mind during this year? As we saw earlier, that there's no record that God spoke to him during that time. And while Noah was declared righteous, we commented last week, he wasn't sinless. I don't know about you, but... If I'm in Noah's shoes, I just watched God justly destroy the rest of the world for their sin. If Noah is introspective at all and self-aware, he understands that he too is a sinner and deserving of destruction, just like everyone else. Can you imagine sitting with that thought for a year on a boat? thinking, will God eventually destroy us too? So what does Noah do? What does Noah do? He waits. He waits. Do you see the repetition in verses 10 and 12? He waits. Noah doesn't do a single thing either before the flood or after it until God tells him to. He waits. Brothers and sisters, sometimes waiting is the most spiritual thing that you can possibly do. The call to wait on the Lord is all over the Bible. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 130, verses 5 through 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. I could keep going. There's passage after passage after passage after passage in the Bible that calls us to wait on the Lord. Waiting doesn't mean being passive. Hear that loud and clear. It doesn't mean being passive. But it does mean not getting out ahead of God and trying to make things happen on your own. Moses doesn't move until God tells him to. I love what Calvin writes here. He says, Let us therefore know that Noah was restrained by a hallowed modesty from allowing himself to enjoy the bounty of nature till he should hear the voice of God directing him to do so. He goes on and writes, All ought indeed spontaneously to consider how great must have been the fortitude of the man, speaking of Noah, who after the incredible weariness of a whole year, when the deluge had ceased and new life has shone forth, does not yet move a foot out of his sepulcher without the command of God. I love that. He goes on and he writes, Thus we see that by a continual course of faith, the holy man was obedient to God, because at God's command he entered the ark and there remained until God opened the way for his egress. And because he chose rather to lie in a tainted atmosphere than to breathe the free air until he should feel assured that his removal would be pleasing to God. Do you see that? Noah waits. and He doesn't move an inch without God. How often do we just make decisions and move forward without ever considering God? Where we'll live? who will date or marry. Now, we've discussed the great amount of freedom that we have within God's will before in 1 Thessalonians. Now, I'm not going back on that and saying something different here. Now, I don't think God wants to paralyze our decision-making. I'm just asking us the question this morning. Do we seek God at all before moving? I'll speak directly to you single people for a moment. Maybe you're in a season of waiting. Waiting on who God has for you to marry. It's so tempting to get out ahead of God and try to make things happen on your own. Or to assume that God's forgotten all about you or abandoned you within the season of waiting. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't do that. Pray. Ask God to provide you a godly spouse who he's prepared for you. Then, wait on the Lord. Don't settle. His plans for us are so much better and so much bigger than our own. Zooming back out to all of us again. 
I don't know what it is in your life that you're having to wait on right now. But one thing's for sure. Waiting, hear this loud and clear, waiting is not a punishment. It's never pointless. It's never in vain. God is doing something always in the waiting, even when we can't see it. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So God remembers Noah. Noah waits on God. And then point three, Noah remembers God. Noah remembers God. If it's shocking that God remembered Noah, there's something in this text that is maybe equally as shocking. That Noah remembered God. Look at our text in verse 20. Noah waited on God. God, in verse 16, finally calls Noah out of the ark. Noah promptly obeys in verse 18. Then look at the very first thing that Noah does in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah remembers God. He worships. Again, Moses, using literary artistry, wants to get us to focus in on this truth. Look back at verses 15 through 19. Verses 15 through 19. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Do you think that Moses just likes repeating himself? If you're a parent with a small child, you're probably used to having to repeat yourself. But Moses is repeating himself intentionally here to slow us down in the text. He's saying, slow down. Watch Noah exit. This is significant. Slow down and pay attention here. Noah hears God's word, obeys, and his first act is worship. The one who goes into the ark of rescue goes out in an act of worship. Let that burn in your minds and settle in your hearts. The one who goes into the ark of rescue goes out in an act of worship. If you've been rescued by God, if you're a Christian, you're to worship him. And so I'll ask you this morning, what is your posture in this world? What is your posture in this world? Is it standing tall and getting in people's faces? Or is it humble on your knees before the face of God? Noah built an altar, the first altar in scripture, by the way. 
He builds an altar, and he recognized who God was, and then who he was before God. He recognized his own sinfulness, and his thankfulness to God for what God had done for him. Noah doesn't just exit the ark and go on about his business, forgetting about God altogether. He isn't indifferent to God. He doesn't come out of the ark prideful. I'm so special. God saved me out of all the others because I'm good. No. He hits the ground in immediate worship. Now, there's so much more packed into verses 20 20 through 22 that I'm not going to pick up today. But know that we'll pick them up next week. I'll loop back around. I want to finish by once again tracing Noah's progression. Noah, before we're, we're ever told of a single one of his actions, is shown favor or grace from God. That's the starting point. God's grace for Noah. Noah, because of his faith, is declared righteous by God. Who's the only one who has the authority to do that? Noah's response was obedience to all of God's commands. Noah, or God remembered Noah. Noah waited on God. And Noah remembered God in worship. If you're a Christian, you have been rescued by the ark, which is Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. And so I'll ask us, what does your exit from the ark look like? What's your response to being rescued? Is it indifference? Is it spiritual pride? Is it an idolatrous love of the world and the things of the world? Or is it humble, thankful, Joyful worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray.